It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the. And there's a. Now that's a follow up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow up question right there. If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold, ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. March has been a busy month for Notre Dame's football recruiting efforts. The Irish have added four commitments this month in the 2022 class and ramped up the attention in the 2023 class with its Pot of Gold event on St. Patrick's Day, which produced close to 30 new offers in the class. So before we get knee deep in spring football, we wanted to take some time to focus on recruiting um, and to do that with a little help from our friend, Steve Wolfong, the national director of recruiting for 24 seven sports. Steve, thanks for joining us. Gentlemen, it's my honor to be on this show coming out of South Bend, my hometown, where I'm from. I love it, man. And, and, and I wouldn't be on this show if it wasn't for Eric Hansen giving me a couple breaks Many years ago, letting me write about Notre Dame Olympic sports when they didn't want to do it. Uh, <laughs> How sticking, generous we're sticking a tape recorder in front of Jordan Black in the locker room uh, uh, and transcribing those quotes to help Eric write another masterpiece. <laughs> I well, somehow forget the Jordan Black masterpiece, but I'm sure it happened. <laughs> he's coaching kids now. Hell, he just sent an offensive lineman to uh, – Oklahoma, or no, the kid committed to Texas A&M, excuse me. So, it's I mean, time flies. Long story short, Jordan Black is, I think he's got like, he's got an army of kids and he played a long NFL career and now he's, he's coaching kids and I'm writing about them. And here we are uh, on your show. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. We always appreciate uh, the content and the knowledge that you bring. So let's, let's jump into um, Notre Dame's 2022 class right now and where it sits nationally, they're uh, ranked uh, 24-7 ranks the class as number two in the country. What do you think is a realistic expectation for where that class could end up uh, come signing day next February? Well, if you look at this Notre Dame class, it, it, it's number two. They're off to a good start. They have 11 commits, which is, you know, tied for the most nationally with Ohio State, who sits at number one. I think the best way to kind of measure their potential there Tyler is when you look at that average ranking per commit and and right now that that's at 98.9 and so that gets you you hover around 910 with that and and so it would be another I think they're tracking for another top 10 class uh, um, just on that alone but I think if you look at what they have in the fold, I think you could say Aiden Gobera is underranked right now. He's a guy that could be a stock up. He's a he's a three star prospect that that I think with with the season that he's having this spring is, is someone that's going to rise. And then you just look at some of the targets that Notre Dame's on that could 
be a boost in that ranking there there that average ranking per commit you know they're in on on a few big time running backs uh, uh, there's a lot of blue chippers still out there on the defensive side of the ball and and uh, you know certainly I think they'll 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 add another talented lineman if if past history proves true so I think Notre Dame is, is, you know, I think that they have a really good chance to finish with a top 10 class and and then we'll see from there. Steve, I think, you know, what we're at least casual Notre Dame fans kind of zero in on recruiting. They watch the Alabama game and they say, man, we need to get after it with quarterbacks and wide receivers and recruiting. And then Notre Dame picks up a three-star receiver and a, you know, three-star quarterback at this point anyways in Steve Angeli, and you have a Morion Walker. My question to you is, are, are people kind of overreacting to this because those guys haven't been fully evaluated yet? Or, or does Notre Dame need to aim higher at those? Should Notre Dame be doing better coming off a of playoff appearance at those two positions? Well, you never, I mean, like Zach Wilson was a guy that's going to be the second quarterback taken. And he was a, a recruit that wasn't necessarily ballyhooed. So you can, you can certainly hit big at the quarterback position of landing a guy that's not touted. But in my opinion, if you're Notre Dame and the success that you've had over the last four years, um, I think that you are a program that, you know, you know, should be in the mix for the Ballyhooed guys in the country year in and year out. That doesn't mean you're going to win that recruiting battle every year. But I, I do think that you're a program that should speak to everybody um, with the success you've had, with the player development you have, and, and with what you offer uh, off the field. Um, you know, Steve Angeli had – he, he can throw the football, you know, and, and, and certainly flashes uh, on, on his junior highlight tape. Um, he has posted some of the um, big numbers that his peers have for whatever reason, um, but he's got some tools there to, to be developed. So we'll see. We'll see what he evolves into uh, in South Bend. But, I mean, you go back to the Alabama game, Eric, they – they lost to uh, an epic football team, um, and and uh, um, I, I thought that Notre Dame, you know, had some opportunities to make the game interesting in in the second half, um, and uh, uh, certainly deserved to be on the field. Just Alabama was a cut above everybody this year, um, and and so that is what it is. And I've used this analogy at, in a few different places. I mean, Notre Dame's program's in a spot right now where you know, they're, they're one of the three, four best golfers in college football, five, six, they're trying to just shave a couple strokes. And when you're, when you're shooting in the hundreds and you're trying to get in the eighties, it's easy to, it's easier to shave those 20 strokes than it is to, you know, shave one or two and put on the green jacket. And, and so what can Notre Dame do to, to get there? Uh, um, I, you know, it's easy for me to, um, you know, it's easy for me to uh, um, scrutinize some some recruiting things here and there because that's what I do. But that doesn't make me right. I, I do. But I, everything I say is within the concept that Notre Dame's program is very healthy. 
they're just trying to win two more games. How can they, how can they win two more games? Maybe if you sign Paulson Adebo and, and, and Thomas Graham, you know, those are guys that, you, you, you know, maybe there's two guys a class where you left out there for various reasons. And if, and, and over the course of four class, that's eight guys. And, and, and maybe there's two guys like that each year that they could have, you know, landed that, that get them to the promised land. How, how, how do you make sure you get those guys, you know, it's easier said than done. But I, I mean, I think they're in a great spot. Steve, is there any sort of fundamental change that you think Notre Dame can make to maybe make those slight improvements, whether it's recruiting certain parts of the country better or increasing recruiting staffs or something else to, to take that last step in recruiting? Yeah. So again, like, you know, like I know Brian Kelly made the comment, we want to recruit top or we can recruit top five classes here. And I think when you look at the success that they've had on the field and with the NFL draft that they, they have recruited them, they just weren't ranked that way. But like Notre Dame, they, they, you know, they, they, they've struggled to have um, their, their team match up perfectly. Right. Where, where, um, you know, when they, when they weren't playing, when they were playing atrocious defense, their offense was pretty good. Right. So I think that they, I think they've proven they could get the personnel on their roster to play, to win a national championship. It's just getting it all there together at the same time, if that makes sense. You know, like if you even like kind of look at that, that Notre Dame team a few years ago and Eric and I talked about it where you had, I mean, that, that team with, with Quentin Nelson and, 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 and I'm going to kind of stall here, the Notre Dame depth chart. What year was that? Notre Dame depth chart, 2018? 17. The two that, it was and the, Quentin was, Nelson and McGlinchey and those guys. Yeah. So that team, um, that team that played, that lost to Georgia in a tight one at home, um, had a ton of talent um, being on offense when you're looking at uh, uh, Josh Adams and Dexter Williams all are played played in the NFL. Uh, McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson go in the first round. Mustafers played in the NFL. Barnes has played in the NFL. Kramer's going to get drafted. Your whole second string, Eichenberg, Hainsey are, are draft picks. Your whole tight end room is draft picks. Um, and, and then at, at wideout, you have St. Brown, Claypool, and Boykin. I mean, and maybe some of those guys were young, but get the, you know, and it's easy for me to say this, but man, like, I mean, those guys are kind of freakish. You could, you know, finding, you know, that offense should have just been a little more electric than it was in, in, in hindsight, but still um, uh, the defense was, coming off four and eight and, and rebuilding. And, and, and now, you know, this past year, your receiver room kind of lacked the electricity needed to, to beat uh, Alabama or beat Clemson a second time. Um, and uh, so making sure that you always have that caliber of like you had a standard, you've had Will Fuller, you've got Claypool, you've had Boykin and, 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 and it's making sure that that standard is just always maintained um, which again, I know is easier said than done. I don't even know if I'm rambling, fellas. I just we're just trying to trim two strokes and win two games and and, and hoist a crystal ball, which is much much easier said than done. Um, but I, 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 it seems like Brian Kelly's energized and, and and going hard after it. And they recruited a good class last year. That running back room, which was it, it has has become pretty electric again. 
Um, and uh, they got some pretty talented receivers in this last class. Deion Colsey's a guy like St. Brown and like, like he's going to be that big body matchup problem on the outside Boykin. Uh, and uh, 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 and then Lorenzo Styles is, is, is uber athletic. And, and so we'll see what they can bring in behind those guys here in 2022. Steve Marcus Freeman's made a pretty big splash so far in his time uh, since he's been hired. Chris O'Leary is the new coach, the safeties coach. I don't know how much of a track record he's been able to put out there yet uh, in this cycle, but um, if you were just trying to evaluate how good he could be, what would be the things that you would be looking for? What would you think are the qualities? If, if a guy doesn't have a big track record of recruiting, what are you looking for to say he's going to be successful? I think he can step into this. And you're talking about Marcus or Chris? I'm talking about Chris. We know Marcus can recruit. All right. So, I mean, Chris has got an amazing logo on his, on his golf shirt right now. And he's got, I mean, he's able to, he's got coach Ballas here developing guys that are going to the combine and ripping off great testing numbers. And, and uh, Kyle Hamilton's going to be drafted high. And, and uh, I mean, there's so many things that he already has to sell that like he just has to be consistent and good and building relationships. Marcus Freeman, He's 24-7 sports defensive coordinator of the year last year. I know that's not as prestigious as the uh, uh, um, – what the hell is the award they give? The Broyles Award. Yeah, it's not as prestigious as the Broyles, but darn it, it's pretty darn prestigious if you ask If they start calling it the Wilt Fong, then it would be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but uh, so there, he's got – I mean, there's a lot of exciting things for him to, to sell. And obviously he's a young coach, but, I, I mean, there's – his superiors are very experienced and proven and, and, and his colleagues as well. Um, so it, for him, it's just building authentic relationships and reminding kids why they would want to choose Notre Dame, but also reminding them that, Hey, you're a priority. I am very busy here in South Bend, but I am using my time that I'm not uh using to prepare for spring ball to talk to you and, and, and your, your priority. And we need you here to not only maintain the standard that we have, but we're trying to win two more uh, and, and you can help us do that. And so um, I don't know much about him, although it seems like he's excited about that stuff. And, and uh, I mean, what a, what a place to like come in and recruit at. It's, I mean, Notre Dame is a great place to recruit and it's not just because it's a great academic uh, uh, institution, um, they got a lot to sell with the football program alone. And I think Notre Dame is a place that can crush name image likeness and all these recruiters, all these prospects are talking about name. We have offensive linemen talking about name image likeness. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm just telling you that like how much money could Brady Quinn have made at Notre Dame uh, uh, when he was under center uh, um, and how popular he was, or, or, or Manti Teo. Uh, um, and, and I think Notre Dame has as many household names in college football as anyone, just with the, with the following they have that it, it, it's, you know, this is a place that has a lot of recruiting advantages. Following up on Chris, um, the one thing that's kind of interesting is it looks like they're going to use him a lot in Florida. And it looks like they've recommitted to Florida. When you look at their offer list for 2023 from the pot of gold uh, kids that got offers, 
there's a lot of Florida kids. They had gotten out of the Florida business for a couple of years and have been trickling back in. But I mean, it looks like they've recommitted to Florida. What do you think about that strategy? And again, hand, handing, you know, a new assistant coach that Florida territory. Well, I just, I just like that. I see Notre Dame going after some of the elite guys in, in, that 2023 class, when you look at the the offer list, some of those – I mean, those guys are highly, highly sought after. Notre Dame's in early building reports with them. And uh, I don't – I mean, it's a school that has a national brand. And I, I, I think that they need to be in the schools that have tailor-made Notre Dame prospects year in and year out. And they need to know who those guys are earlier because it's still, you know, it's still a little bit of work to get a kid out of region. But if you know, if you have a great relationship with the sophomore co- or the high, the, the high school coach or the seven on seven coaches in the area and they're in and they're guys you can trust or the ch- local trainer, whoever it is, it just has the pipeline of people. And, and, and they're t- this sophomore is going to be a national recruit. You know, uh, um, it's just building those pipeline, your infrastructure of knowing that Travion Henderson is a guy that you should be all in on because he's a 4.0 kid that is shines on both sides of the ball. You know, those are the those are the guys that you're trying to be on early that could pay off, you know, for those two win those two elusive wins we're talking about when trying to win a national title. Steve, Eric mentioned the the pot of gold event where Notre Dame reached out to their top targets in the 2023 class on St. Patrick's Day. How meaningful do you think something like that can be in the big picture for recruiting? And is that something that is repeatable that Notre Dame can sort of make St. Patrick's Day an annual big day for that that junior or that sophomore class? Well, I thought it was awesome. I mean, recruiting is a game of inches. I mean, I don't think that you're going to get a commitment because you included a kid on your pot of gold, but you get an inch closer. And, and it gets kids excited to talk to Notre Dame that day at St. Patrick's Day. I think there was a lot of excitement, you know, talking to a lot of those prospects that talked to Notre Dame coaches. They felt the enthusiasm on, on their end. Like it was a day, like I think the Notre Dame staff was juiced up to, to be on the phone with these kids. And so it's infectious and, and it gives you a good impression of Notre Dame. And, and, and it's just another opportunity to stay in the forefront of their minds. You know, that's why that's why you're sending edits and graphics. And that's why you're trying to be strong on social media is that you're just trying to win, win the day or win the inch and, and, and keep building up, uh, keep building up your investment that hopefully at the end, the young man chooses to come to your school and, and put pen to paper or finger to uh, a screen and, and however they're signing these things these days and, and join the fold. But that was a, that was a very organized deal that I think um, helps Notre Dame, you know, continue to build that report with prospects, but hopefully, you know, your infrastructure is in place and your, and your assistant coaches are in tune and enthused with that as much as they can be, as much as their personality allows that, that, that wasn't just a, a anomaly. That's, this is what we do around here. We recruit the hell out of the guys we want to come play. So next time we get on the field with Clemson and Alabama, we're kicking their ass, you know, and, 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 uh, and getting it done. Beautiful. Um, I'm going to circle back to Marcus Freeman a little bit. The linebacker group that Notre Dame has landed some and is involved with is incredible. I, I guess, um, can they take more than four in this class if they, uh, 
had to kind of push the numbers. And how do you think this group 2020, and we're talking about the guys that haven't committed to that are in, involved, how they compare to what's on the roster already? So you probably know the numbers of their, their depth chart. I but do. Fine. I, I'm, it's easy for me to say, don't take, take as many good players as you can get, man. You know, like, I don't know. I'm not saying no to him, him or him, but yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be zero and zero next, you know, this fall. And uh, so uh, I, I think that, um, you, I mean, they're obviously have to be aware of it. Right. You know, I don't, I don't know how they're viewing the numbers. I just know that they're in, on Sebastian Cheeks, they're in on Jalen Sneed. You know, they're right. they're they're in the thick of it for for guys like that. And uh, um, I, here's what I know to be true: is that very rarely have, like, I've been around Notre Dame recruiting for a long time, and I can't think of a time where in December or in February. First, obviously, it was always February, but now in December and February, where I saw Notre Dame turn away a player that I was like man, they could have really used that dude. So, I mean, like Brian Kelly would have to act like, has Brian Kelly had to make a hard decision in December or February and say, we're full, we can't take this highly touted great player that's been at the top of our board the whole time. I don't think they've been in that position. And uh, so I would recruit from that vantage point that it's always worked out for us so far. Let's just, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take them now and see where the chips fall later. Now, maybe that has happened, and I just wasn't privy to that information, and it was a, it was a mess behind the scenes. But I don't, mm. I can't recall it. Can you? No. <laughs> no. Steve, you mentioned Aiden Gabara earlier as a guy who's probably rising as he's just getting a chance now to play his junior season in the spring in Virginia. Who, who in that twenty-two class is maybe who you think is the top commit right now of, of Notre Dame's 11 guys committed in their class? Oh man. I mean, I think that Josh Burnham's going to be a dude uh, for Notre Dame. I don't necessarily know where that's going to be. I mean, hell, I wouldn't be surprised if you see him coming off the edge, you know, Notre Dame, they've always had to kind of like manufacture their pass rushers. Um, you know, they have landed some four stars at the position, of course, uh, uh, but they weren't like the guys that like were considered the elite pass rushers coming in but like Notre Dame is like taking them to another level with their player development or or really just their eye of seeing like hey that's a guy that is going to be a great pass rusher whatever it is uh, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Burnham's a guy in this class that if you look up down the road and he's the guy leading the team in stacks and is just the, the menace off the edge and I know they have Tyson Ford committed but you know, I mean, Burnham could play anywhere from Mike to outside backer to developing into defensive end. He's a big, long body dude that's still kind of lean, if that makes sense. Uh, um, so I think the sky's the limit for him physically and as a football player. I love him on film. I love his mentality. I, I just think that um, that was a, a big recruiting win for a guy that behind the scenes college coaches raved about. Steve, when you were talking about shaving the last couple strokes off, you know, they're Again, fans are trying to put in perspective what they need to be upset about, what they need to be happy about. Um, and uh, there seems to be a fixation on the five-star recruits, and there's not very many of them, what, 30, 32 a year? It's 32 a year, yeah. So is there – does Notre Dame have to start getting five-stars, or can they get lots of high four-stars, lots of 
top 50 or top 100 guys. And that will also get them to where they want to be as long as they're hitting on the ones they really like. So while I think that our rankings have gotten better every year, if you look at the NFL draft and our rankings and we're hitting more and more on, on, um, we're hitting more and more on like guys that are going to go in the first round as five stars. I mean, Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey were four stars that should have been ranked as five stars, you know, uh, um, same, same goes for Jerry Tillery, right? So no, Notre Dame has had, they had a first round pick in 19. They had two first round picks in 18. They had two first round picks in, in, in Ronnie Stanley and Will Fuller, uh, in, in, in 2016. And they would have had three if Jalen Smith wouldn't have had, had, so they, they've had those guys. You could sit here like we, we got those wrong. Like some of those guys were ranked five stars, but, but we, we got the, those guys wrong. And, and I'm going to go on a man. Jalen Smith was the most underutilized great player that Notre Dame's ever had. I mean, like, how do you have that freak running around with only two career sacks is the, some of the worst work I've ever seen. Um, um, but they fixed that and, and, and made some changes on the staff. The dude won the buckets and was could have gave him so much more. Um, yeah. But, but uh so they, they get those guys. And I think that when you look at their roster now, I mean, Kyle, Kyle Hamilton was a guy that we had as a five-star. I hope he goes in the first round to to, to prove us right. But I, I think that you're going to see some other guys uh, that are currently on the roster, hear their name called early in the draft. I think it's just for Notre Dame, it, it, it's it's maintain, like maintaining your receiver room is potent. Like, how, like knowing that – like how can we make sure we're not having like a drop off? Like are these guys of the caliber of Will Fuller and, and uh, uh, Miles Boykin and, and Claypool and, 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 and the Golden Tate, like these guys are all making plays in the league, man. You can win championships with those guys or, or, or making sure that, that your, your quarterback is, you, you know, the talent at your quarterback position is championship level. And uh, um if you go to the, if you're a team when you're Notre Dame and you're going to the portal, you know, you're going to the portal and you're getting a guy, you, you only need to go for like one or two guys that are just helping you get over the hump, which I think that's, that's where they're at. Um, but I, 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 I mean, if you're a Notre Dame fan, you have a lot to be happy about. And, the, and I don't, you know, you're, you're bitching and moaning is almost just, I mean, you want to win those last two, but man, you've had some, you've had four good years here. And I don't think you're a fraudulent program. The NFL draft says otherwise. You just, I mean, you just didn't play well in some of those, some of those games for, you know, Notre Dame's offense, just they just weren't ready for Brent Venables a couple years ago in the uh, college football playoff. Uh, the defense was ready. And I think, you know, gave Trevor Lawrence and them problems, you know, and then this past year, again, I mean, I, I, you know, they play, maybe if they only played Clemson once, she had had a different outcome. I don't know. I'm starting to ramble here. I, I think they're close, man. I just, mm-hmm. you know, I think that I would like to see Notre Dame hit on more sure things at quarterback again, but maybe they, maybe they have, maybe that, that, that'll make me eat my words later. Um, I just haven't, you know, I'm not, you know, uh, that that's the one area that I could point to where it's like, why isn't Notre Dame in the middle of it for the guys that we love? You know, that, you know, I mean, we can't be wrong on all of them. Some of these guys are going to be good in college. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like we probably did overshoot half of them, but half of them we got right. I already know that. That's just, you know, and I don't think Notre Dame was in on any of them dudes. 
Speaking of quarterbacks, last one for me, Steve. What do you think of Tyler Buckner and what his his career could be um, at Notre Dame? So he's so hard to evaluate Tyler because he got he got hurt um, the first game of his sophomore year, and then junior year he had an epic year statistically, man. But I swear to God, they were playing against LaVille. and that is not <laughs> an exaggeration. Like like they were playing against John Glenn, and they were playing against LaVille. They were playing against Culver Community, not to be mistaken with Culver Academy. Um, they were playing small school ball. Um, and he did exactly what he's supposed to do against those guys. But, like, you know, he transfers as the senior, and we're going to get to see him play against great competition California. Then COVID hits, and then he enrolled early, right? I would have liked to have seen him get those snaps, and I think those snaps would have been more valuable. Um, you know, again, it's not, you know, who knows if what I'm saying is right. Uh, I don't claim to be an expert, but I would like to, have, I think that him playing however many games he would have gotten in California is more valuable than 15 spring practices where he's sharing the room with Cone, Clark and Pine. I mean, how many snaps is he taking? He just gave up. He might've just gave up 200 pass attempts, you know, in, in a real game. So, uh, but I've seen him in a camp setting a couple of times. Um, he, he did not have the camp series that he was looking to have, or, or, or I, I shouldn't speak for him. He was not, he did not have a camp series that I thought he was going to have. I thought he was going to just be awesome in those settings. Uh, but he is a good fluid athlete. He can move. He can, th- the ball does come out quick. I've talked to so many coaches about him that have worked with him and they just talk about his high IQ that he's super smart. Uh, um, so I think that he's going to have a good understanding of what Notre Dame's asking him to do. But man, he hasn't, you know, we haven't seen him do anything against, you know, uh, any, you know, I, I can't sit here and confidently say he's going to be an all American quarterback or, or give you what Ian book gave you. Um, and, and I know you're, and I know Notre Dame fans are salivating for more than that, you know? And so I don't know, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does, um, for sure. And, 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 uh, Again, they had him in camp, and they worked him out, and they loved him, and they passed on some other guys that ha- produced on the field in, in, in that cycle. So, you know, I'm hoping it hits for Notre Dame, and, uh, you know, we'll see. Have you, what's the feedback on him early? Have you guys seen anything? I've seen people that have talked to people that have talked to people that have seen him, <laughs> and there's been kind of a mixed bag. So until I see it, for myself, I'm not going down that road. I just won't do it. Sure. But but you've evaluated him in other, at least other settings. So we've had him on this show actually, and he was very impressive on here. But we he didn't throw for us. <laughs> but he was he was an impressive, poised young man. I you will give say him that. one of those awards behind you for his performance on, his, on, <laughs> on the show. I I would. I'm, I'm going to ask great, you. He's a great human. He's going to be a great ambassador for Notre Dame football. No question about that. I'm, I'm going to ask you about a couple of guys on the roster. One who I love and one who I want to love. And they're both defensive ends. Isaiah Foskey and Jordan Batello, who was a linebacker in high school. And I'm curious what you think their ceiling, their potential is as pass rushers for Notre Dame. Right. So that almost like goes back into what we were saying about Burnham, right? That like, yeah. like that, like Notre Dame, they manufacture their, their pass rushers by getting creative or, 
or just developing these guys through strength and conditioning and scheming them up. Right. Uh, I mean, like Okwara just signed a, a second extension, you know, in the league and he, you know, he was a guy that was a four-star kind of like Foskey, but he wasn't like the, the edge that like the SEC programs were lining up for, but in hindsight, yeah. he could, you know, he would have been a great player anywhere. I think Isaiah Foskey, you know, we ranked him slightly higher than our peers. We had him as the number 203 player in the country, which is good. There's thousands upon thousands. We had him as a four-star in our top 247, but I think he's got a great chance to outperform his position ranking which was number 13, the number 13 weak side defensive men. And obviously I saw flashes. I saw the same flashes you guys, you guys saw. He's going to outperform some of these cats that we had ranked higher than him, you know? And, and again, that's another, like if I'm Notre Dame, I'm like, I'm on the trail and I'm like, man, we develop our people at a high level that like, why wouldn't you want to come here? Like Isaiah Foskey is going to be the next, guy to quote unquote overachieve around here you know i mean like yes he had a bunch of offers but like we loved him and he's gonna overachieve like we had patella ranked higher than our peers too we had him ranked higher he was number 65 nationally he's our number four inside backer uh, but at 6'3 230 like obviously you could see him moving out to the edge but he's a i mean he has got great feet like he was always such a the way he could move like it, laterally, his change of direction was, was kind of special, especially for a dude of that size. And he's just a, 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 a physical football player like Burnham, like him and Burnham are actually kind of good comps, right. Um, with, with, with the guys that are second level defenders in, in, in high school, but they're just big dudes that are long, like that are still not close to being matched out physically. Like, yes, I think that those are, championship level type guys for Notre Dame that they can, those are the kind of guys that allow them to get into the equation. All right, Steve. Well, that's all we got for you. We really that's appreciate it. you taking time, man. I could, man, I could keep going. I'm having a blast. <laughs> yeah, we can probably, we can probably have you for a two hour podcast, but um, I don't know that everyone wants to listen to us talk for two hours, unfortunately, but um, <laughs> we, we will certainly have you back on in the future. We always appreciate your insight. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys – are we done with USC? Everybody's – you guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. First one I have for us, Eric, is from at IrishFan102. Can you give us some insight into media access this spring to practices and the blue and gold game? Oh, I wish I could. <laughs> um, it's kind of a guessing game. Um, I'll say this, you know, there, there's going to be a really wide disparity on how different programs operate this spring. And I'm not sure that there's a science to it at this point. For example, I, I get a lot of uh, emails from other colleges because I'm a top 25 voter. So I got Baylor's media policy. Their media is allowed into every practice. They can interview players in person, but they have to socially distance. Um, so what will Notre Dame look like? I, I believe we'll be in the blue gold game. I don't know if we'll be in the stadium, in the stands, or if they'll put us in the press box. We might be able to go to another practice or two if it's in the stadium. I think Notre Dame is going to be kind of conservative with it. 
Um, and, you know, I think we'll be doing our interviews on Zoom is what I'm going to guess at this point, given that the pro day uh, things were not allowed in pro day, which is next Wednesday. And, and practice will have begun by then. And we're doing Zooms on those. So the, I'm guessing that, but I think this is probably going to be kind of the end of the you know, Zoom and little access, at, at least driven by COVID. Now, if they want to do it for some other reason, you know, they certainly have that right to do it. But I think driven by COVID, I think some of the reason may be because the infection rate's been high on campus, not in St. Joe County, not in Indiana, but on, on Notre Dame's campus. Yeah, I think they could reasonably let us into the indoor facility because there is a balcony level that we could sort of be it to ourselves and not be near the players to watch. I'm not sure that that will be what happened. And if it did happen, they'd probably put some sort of limitations on the number of people that could go there. Cause I don't know that there'd be enough room for us to socially distance, be there in terms of all the people that cover Notre Dame football. Um, but we'll see. I don't, I don't, we don't really know yet. And uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed that we can have some sort of access because um not having seen a practice for over a year now um, has really, I think, hurt hurt us as reporters of trying to know what the players that weren't playing on the field on Saturdays um, were doing in practice, and and especially with so many guys that need to step up this spring and this off season, um, kind of getting a sense for that with some visuals from practice would be would be greatly appreciated and helpful. All right, next question is from at Kevin Calabria one. Who starts at quarterback on for the opening game? Um, well, I think that uh, it's going to be Jack Cohn. I, I, I've I've always kind of left it in my mind that I could be surprised because surprises have happened before. And I mentioned this in one of my chats, you know, who would ever thought Tommy Reese in the second game of 2011 would be the starting quarterback. Um, and, you know, it was somewhat of a surprise with Everett Golson and certainly pre pre Brian Kelly, there have been some surprises. Deshaun Kaiser being as good as he was in 2015 was a huge surprise. So, uh, you know, I mean, he looked in that spring, like he could not play on this level. And even he kind of doubted his, ability after that spring. So I'm open to being surprised. They went out and got a grad transfer with a thought that he would be the starter. And, and I think that's the arc he's on, but we haven't had practices yet. Yeah. I'm siding with Jack Cohn until proven. Otherwise, I I don't know that it's necessarily going to be treated that way. I'm sure they're going to give the other guys a chance. I'm not sure how much work Brendan Clark is able to do this spring. Um, based off of his knee injury. Um, and then obviously there's Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner. And I thought it was interesting what Steve Wolfong said that he thought he thought Tyler Buckner should have stayed and played in California and get those reps in high school. And that was kind of where I was leaning to. Um, but there wasn't but, a guarantee there was going to be a season. I mean, they threw this together in February, you know, because no, they were going right. to play in January. Well, there's, I mean, there's, I mean, there's also no guarantee that Notre Dame has spring practices either. There's also chances of those getting canceled too. So um, 
I just think I, I think I understand the decision because he came here. I don't think he can start without coming here in the spring this fall. I'm just not sure how realistic that is. Um, and I thought like for the overall growth of him as a player, it would have been better for him to get more reps in high school. And obviously there was no guarantee that that would happen either. But um, I just uh, I think in hindsight, that would have probably been better in my opinion, but I, we'll see. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with him, what he's going to look like in practices and how many reps he's going to be able to take and how that's all going to play out. Um, the, 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 the challenging thing to me is that I just don't know that the offense you want to run with Tyler Buckner as your quarterback is the same offense you want to run with Jack Cohn as your quarterback. And that makes it even more complicated how you sort of navigate that. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Assuming Jack Cohn is initially the starting quarterback, do you see the offense designing some packages for either Buckner or Pine so they can get some meaningful playing time or experience? Also, do you think the offense should add more tempo into the mix next year? You know, I don't know that Brian Kelly has ever designed packages for that number two quarterback to get experience. He's done it for other reasons. In 2011, he was toying with Andrew Hendricks as a changeup quarterback. And he did it. He, he actually brought Urban Meyer up from Florida using the Chris Lee, Tim Tebow model that he wanted a guy that was more mobile than Tommy Reese and maybe use them in different places and games. Then in 2012, you had Golson as the starter and Reese as a closer in some games because he wanted Tommy's poise. Uh, in certain games to close it out. And then you had the Wimbush book situation at the beginning of 2018 where book was running goal line, but I, I, or, and red zone, but I don't know that it was necessarily to get book ready to be the starter in another season. And so I don't think Brian Kelly is going to have packages for them for that purpose. Now, I think he would be smart to figure out who number two, long-term is who, who number two is and who's number one, who he thinks number one's going to be in 2022. And, and I would say then try to work that guy into some games because Jack Cohn won't be here in 2022 uh, from that standpoint. And as far as um, tempo, I think it's what do you want to do with that tempo? I think it's always good to be able to do both. Uh, Notre Dame didn't do it much last year because they were a ball control, clock control kind of team. I think they should have an element where they can go quick if they can take advantage of a certain defense um, by going fast. I think they need to be able to have those gears, but I don't know that necessarily you have to do it the whole game. Yeah, I, I think I, I I don't I'm skeptical that there will be any sort of extra packages for Buck, Buckner or Pine. I, if there were, I would guess it would be Buckner more than Pine because I, I don't know that Pine has a skill set that does anything that Jack Cohn doesn't do necessarily. Whereas Tyler Buckner is a better athlete than Jack Cohn um, and Drew Pine, um, so maybe they do something that uses his running ability. But I, I just usually that's something that doesn't happen, and if it's happening, it's usually for a more of a bad reason than a good reason. And it it is a working out poorly. Um, So you just, in my opinion, in those cases, just make the other guy, the starting quarterback, if you don't feel confident enough in the other guy in the, in the quarterback, that's your starter. So I I don't, I also don't think quarterbacks love that. I, that concept. So with Tommy Reese being the offensive coordinator, I I don't think that he would be a huge fan of that, but 
that's just a guess. I don't, I don't know. I've never discussed that with Tommy, um, but that would be my, my sort of thoughts on that in terms of tempo. Tempo is a strange thing to me. I think it, it gets overplayed a bit. Um, and, and I think it only makes a significant difference for some of the teams that are really, really good at it. Um, but it's, it's something that's sort of easy to understand <laughs> from a, a fan or sports writer point of view. So it gets discussed more often. Um, I'd rather have an efficient offense than an up-tempo offense if you had to make a choice. Um, and it, it seemingly like tempo seems to not be as much of a uh, a fad as it was. Um, I found a stat from Sports Source Analytics. Now, this is this was before last season. Uh, the stat was in 2012, there are 11 FBS teams that average 80-plus plays per game, and there were 31 who averaged 75-plus plays per game. But in 2019, there was only one team that averaged 80 plus plays and 13 that averaged 75 plus plays. So there was a significant decrease in the amount of plays by offense. Now, I don't know the reason for that. Um, and even even this past year, we, we wouldn't, you wouldn't describe Notre Dame as an up-tempo offense, but Notre Dame was third in the country in offensive plays um, total behind Alabama and Clemson. And Notre Dame actually averaged almost three plays per game more than Alabama did at 72.3 versus 69.4 for Alabama. So I think uh, you can, you can get a lot of plays without being up tempo and you can also do up tempo things that don't necessarily end up making more plays. You might just be hurrying up and punting more often. And uh, your defense, if your defense struggles then your offense is going to be in a bad spot. So I think tempo is going to be hard to pull off when it, with an inexperienced offensive line. Um, and you also sort of need to have a personnel group on offense that you feel comfortable with keeping on the field and not substituting yourselves to allow you to keep playing up tempo. So I, I just don't know that that's going to be a huge part of the offense this year, but um, we will see what Tommy Reese wants to do with um, sort of re, re, revamping what he did last year, season. Uh, next question is from at Brian Swint. What are you most excited to see slash learn about the offense this spring? And what about on defense? Well, I have a big giant list for offense, but I will boil it down to one thing, and it's this. Does Notre Dame have the pieces and the commitment to have a dynamic element to their offense? Are they going to be able to supercharge their offense like we've seen the other teams in the playoffs? You know, Notre Dame had the kind of offense that got you to the playoff. They don't have currently the offense that can win you playoff games. So I want to see if that evolution is there. And again, you have to have the pieces. If you don't have that, you can't do it. And on defense, I think I'm I'm mainly looking at a couple of positions, pass rush and cornerbacks, and they're really kind of their success is kind of tied together. So I'm I'm curious how Marcus Freeman is going to generate pass rush and 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 who's going to be the good pass rushers on this team. And then I, I'm really interested to see how aggressive they are with their cornerbacks or if they kind of do a little bit what Clark Lee did was you maybe try to cover them up a little bit. I think I would disappoint myself if I didn't say I was excited to see what the offensive line looked like. <laughs> There's so many questions there. and Who's going to be able to step up where um, I think is really going to be important. I don't know that we're going to have clear answers by the end of the spring, um, but I think we're going to get a better sense of who's going to be competing where. Um, across the offensive line. Um, and then I think at the wide receiver position, that's obviously a big question mark. What does Jack Cohn look like? That's a huge question mark. We've never seen him in Notre Dame's offense. Um, and sort of, are there any giveaways of what 
Tommy Reese is going to do to sort of tweak the offense from what it was last season, which kind of gets at, at your point a little bit. Um, on defense, I just what did, what does Mark, Marcus Freeman's defense look like at Notre Dame? Is it is it going to be more similar to Clark Lee's defense? Is it going to be more similar to the three three five? Is there really that big of a difference? Are we just splitting hairs? What what does what does it mean? I mean, they're still offering guys at the rover position, so that seems to indicate that they are planning to have a rover position in their defense. But is that just Marcus Freeman adapting that um, terminology and putting it into his defense or making it look more like what it has looked at Notre Dame. So I have lots of questions about that and, and no real certainty of what that, what that's going to look like. And we've had very limited opportunities to ask Marcus Freeman about that to get any sort of real sense of what that's going to look like. And I think having, you, you kind of have to see it to sort of get a grasp of what it's going to look like. And that's another big reason why hopefully we get a chance to see some practices this spring. Um, first, our next question we have from at NDF underscore discord, who is a likely starter or two that you think will exceed relative expectations? Um, for example, doesn't necessarily have to be someone under the radar. Um, but it could also be someone, uh, you, you're most high on that we think will perform at an even higher level. Um, you know, and sometimes I'm, I have a hard time separating my expectations from the fan base because right. a lot of times they're different. For example, I'm going to throw Isaiah Foskey on this list because I don't know that the fan base knows how good he can be. Um, and I think he's going to be tr tremendous. Um, and the other guys that I'll kind of push my chips in on are Houston Griffith. I think this has got to be the year Houston Griffith gets it jumps forward. I don't think he makes the U-turn out of the portal if he didn't think Marcus Freeman couldn't bring the best out of him. Um, I, I like the Adam Alola twins. I, I don't know if either of them will be a starter, but I think they'll both be important players. And then Lorenzo Styles, I'll throw my chips in for a freshman. Yeah, well, I, I, it would be hard for Lorenzo Styles to exceed my expectations. So I think I have him as the number two guy in the class. So I, I under, I, I, I'm sort of in agreement with you where it's hard to sort of get a sense of what the public re, uh, expectations are. I, I try to think about it in like terms of guys I don't. I think they're more jacked up about Jordan Johnson than they are Lorenzo Styles. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and uh, and it's probably because they're just mad that Jordan Johnson didn't play last season. Um, and they, and if Lorenzo Styles doesn't play all of this season, then maybe the, it'll be the same thing for him. Obviously, Jordan Johnson had the five star rating, um, and that brings the expectations with him there. I think so, but I, I sort of think about when I think about expectations, I try to think of like people I see either, um, that I don't get asked much about, or I, I'll see like complaints about because I do some things like on Twitter to ask people or even comment throughout the games for or any insider Twitter chatter and get a sense of what people are thinking. I think Avery Davis is probably a guy that I think um, people are, are sleeping on. And I think, I feel like I mentioned that almost like once a podcast anymore. Um, I think he's probably going to have a bigger role in the offense than people would um, expect. Um, Justin Adam Alola, I think would be my number one pick on defense. I think um, naturally we're starting to look, trying to look at Isaiah Foskey and Jordan Botello as defensive ends and what their roles are going to be. But I think Justin, um, could very well be a starter and make a pretty good impact for Notre Dame's defense on the, on the defensive line. Um, maybe Tariq Bracey. I think maybe he's, be, I don't know if he's become an afterthought or people maybe think that he can turn it around. 
Um, I think it, I think their the ability is there. I'm not sure what kind of happened with him last year. Um, Houston Griffiths makes sense. And I also thought if DJ Brown were to somehow beat out Houston Griffiths, I think he'd be another candidate. I don't think people have very high expectations for him. And if he were to to beat out Houston Griffiths, I think people would automatically think, well, Houston Griffiths failed rather than DJ Brown sort of stepped up and beat him out. Um, and maybe he could he, he could be a talented safety for Notre Dame. We'll we'll see how that plays out. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with what what is what is um Marcus Freeman want from his safety position. I think that's still stuff we've got to learn. Next question is from at Coffee Dark Roast. Any position changes that you think are going to happen or any changes that need to slash should happen? I don't think we're going to see like a real crazy one, like uh, a running back go to cornerback. And I don't think Avery Davis is moving again. <laughs> uh, but I would say more Subtle ones, like I could see there being um, some changes in linebacker roles, for example. I could right. see um, maybe I, I've heard rumblings about Myron Tangavaloa Mosa moving outside. I have a hard time seeing that stick, but maybe he'll surprise me. I think Riley Mills makes more sense looking at him as a big defensive end, um, you know, we know that uh, Jarrett Patterson likely will get a look at left tackle, although I don't know how healthy he's going to be. That'll be more kind of in theory than in actual practice. And then, uh, you know, some a tackle could move inside to guard, a cornerback to safety, but nothing earth-shattering in my mind as far as position changes. Yeah, I'm in agreement there, and I feel like I broke a record. We still need to figure out what Marcus Freeman's defense looks like to know what 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 they're looking for in terms of switching guys around. But if it, to me, like if Cam Hart's not pushing to be a starting cornerback or even like the third cornerback, could he be a safety? Um, they don't have great depth at safety, um, and that could even be someone like an incoming freshman, Ryan Barnes, um, who was recruited as a cornerback. He could certainly become a safety um, a guy maybe a little bit outside the box, so not crazy, like, would be Acido Kwanu. If, if he's not in the linebacker rotation, he just seems like too good of an athlete to me to just kind of be stuck at linebacker um, and not playing. So maybe could he be a Viper defensive end? Um, maybe that would be a possibility. Um, I, I just don't know what um, the need for that will be, but I, I think he could do something for Notre Dame. I just not – we haven't seen – obviously he was <laughs> – experimented with a sort of like a goal line running back at some point, Brian Kelly indicated. Um, but uh, I think uh, maybe there's a way to get him more involved in the team. If he, if he's not um, near the top of the linebacker depth chart. Um, but yeah. And then on the offensive line, I'm sure there'll be all kinds of shifting between tackles and guards to try and figure out who their best five is. Um, but I don't know that that would necessarily be what people were looking for in terms of true position changes. Uh, another question we have from at coffee, dark roast, Without saying the players' names, what states do you consider to be overrated and underrated when it comes to recruitment and the production on the field under both Weiss and Kelly? What states? States, yeah. Like like Indiana? Yes, as in okay. the United States of America. Okay. Um, I, can, I can go first if you want me to go first. Yeah, why don't you go first? I, I think it was it was hard to figure out, like, does overrated mean like they've had more overrated guys or like the they're thinking about like 
like we think uh, Texas is really important for Notre Dame's, but it actually hasn't been that important for Notre Dame. So I, 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 I was, I was struggling to sort of put a, my finger exactly on how to think about this overrated. I, I did include Texas in that. I mean, some of the, some of the guys that they've recruited from Texas, I think the recruiting success that people were saying that Notre Dame was having in t- t- uh, Texas was a bit overinflated and not a lot of those guys ended up being uh, very impactful at Notre Dame. Um, I, I even think like Indiana in some ways has been overrated um, and not, not uh, they've, there's really? been one, there's been overrated and underrated because if you look at like the top recruits that Notre Dame has, has got out of the state of Indiana by ranking, um, you're talking about James Aldridge, Gunnar Keel, Josh Barajas, McKelty Williams, Justin Brent. None of those guys really panned out at Notre Dame. Um, you have the Martins, right? But then you have then you, and, right. Then you have yeah. steals like Tyler Eifert and Drew Tranquil yeah. and Jess Samarja. So it, I I just think that the the recruiting industry hasn't figured out how to how to evaluate recruits in Indiana. Maybe more than. Uh, what Notre Dame has done. And there's certainly been some other guys that I think Notre Dame has let get out of the state um, that they probably shouldn't have. Um, so I think uh, um, it's sort of hit and miss in Indiana. It's, it's hard, hard to under, figure out and underrated. I, that's another one. Like, I don't really know how to quantify that. I, I think Pennsylvania has been really good for Notre Dame and those guys haven't always been five-star recruits. Um, I'm not even sure if they've ever gotten a five-star recruit out of Pennsylvania, but you're talking about Will Fuller and Mike McGlinchey and Josh Adams, Robert Hainsey. Um, a lot of guys um, from Pennsylvania that have really had successful careers at Notre Dame um, and uh, Virginia, I think, uh, obviously you talk about Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. He wasn't nearly rated high enough. Chris Tyree was obviously rated high. CJ Procise wasn't rated high. Jalen Elliott. Greer, was, had, Greer wasn't rated high. Martini. Right, Greer Martini wasn't rated high. Jalen Elliott played about to where his recruiting ranking was, but I don't think Virginia is necessarily a state that you think about a lot um, in terms of, Notre Dame relying on that state for talent. So I think th- those, those are some of the states that kind of came to mind to me, but I think it's sort of hard to pinpoint exactly what, what we're looking for. Cause if you, if you just make a list of all the guys that were overrated, you're going to see a lot of guys that are from Florida and California because they just recruit so many players from those states um, that you're, you're going to have a lot of guys that are overrated. And that's similar to Indiana as well. Well, I, I guess I would, I would go with Florida being overrated. Now they've, recruiting more players from Florida than any other state, but there was a stretch there where they were not holding on to them, that they were falling off the roster for various reasons and, and not good reasons. And so, um, but I think going to Florida is important because there is so much talent there um, and it's talent that will leave the state. Um but but it, there were some bad choices going to Florida. I'd say underrated. I'm going to go Georgia because I think just about every Georgia player has turned out. Um, they've had some really good players from there. They're up to 14 through the 2021 class, and Georgia in the last four cycles has been the number two state. And I will say Hawaii. It seems like every single one of those kids – plays above their recruiting ranking. So Hawaii would be my second choice for underrated. All right. Next question is from Michael Collins at NJC5102. How many tight ends will Notre Dame take? I have seen a couple of predictions for both Eli Raritan and Holden Stays to ND. Will it with Jack Nickel already in the fold, would they take both and move someone from tight end to offensive line? Well, I, I don't 
think moving somebody from tight end to offensive line makes sense just because the offensive line recruiting has been so good. Yes, exactly. And so the question really then is, do you want three tight ends in the class? And, and as I look at the, uh, you know, the recruiting chart that we have, the uh, scholarship chart, you know, there doesn't seem like there's a burning reason to take three tight ends. I think Michael Mayer probably is going to be a three and out kind of player. Right. And, and George Takis probably isn't going to come back for a fifth year, but I don't know why you would want, you know, then you'd still have Kane Baron, Kevin Bauman and Mike Mitch Evans for a while. Why would you want six tight ends on your team? And you're not talking about them saving room for a couple of five stars. You're talking about, you know, a little bit more developmental type project prospects. So to me, it makes sense that they would take stays or Raritan and not both of them. Yeah. I, I don't think they, they've taken, they've taken two tight ends in each of the last two classes. So to take three following that, I think would be overkill. Um, like you mentioned, mayor's not probably not, might not be at Notre Dame for four years, but, um, you're still going to have eight scholar. If you take three this year, you'll have eight scholarship tight ends on the 2022 roster. And that's, that's a bit high, especially if you're talking about, which we'll talk about later, having the chance to bring in a lot of highly ranked linebacker recruits. Um, is it really worth trying to get more tight ends in this class? Especially, I mean, you can recruit tight end well. So if you only get two this year, it's not just like comparing it to this year and what's on the roster. It's also comparing to what can you get in the next class? Can you do better than, um, whoever you get would be left out, whether it's Eli Raritan or Holden stays, can you do better than that in the 2023 class? And um, I would, I would push for stays rather than Raritan personally. Um, and uh, I think the recruiting rankings uh, agree with that as well. Um, and so, I mean, I think there could be a conversation of, well, should Notre Dame have pushed for Jack Nickel as early as it did? Um, maybe that's a, a lesson for John McNulty and his, and his Notre Dame tight end recruiting experience, but um, I, I think that three tight ends just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense um, for Notre Dame in this 2022 class. And I will add, and to, we'll be asked about linebackers later, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint. Notre Dame doesn't like being pinned down to numbers um, of like what position, how many they want per position because they want to be as flexible as they can. And sometimes those things change and they don't want to close doors on kids until they have to close doors. Um, so just because uh, – we sort of think that Notre Dame maybe keep it as fluid as it, as they can um, until they sort of have to make a hard line decision on whether or not they have enough room for a third tight end or a fifth linebacker. Um, next question is from Adam Hanoski at CPU 2015 defensive class is going to be stacked. What is going on at wide receiver? Why is Notre Dame taking a mid tier three star with mid tier offers in March? Um, well, I think, the reason that they took they they've taken one receiver and it was a three star and that's a Morian Walker from Louisiana. And I think the reason they took him is because they do not think he's a three star. Right. Uh, right. They do not think he's settling. And I know Tom Lemming is the guy that absolutely thinks that the, that Notre Dame hit the jackpot with a Morian Walker. He thinks that this kid is going to transform Notre Dame's receiver room. That's how high Tom is on him. Tom visited with him a couple weekends ago and he called me. He was so excited <laughs> driving back from Louisiana and Mississippi. Um, 
And he said, you know, he's going to have to uh, make friends with Matt Bayless in the weight room because he's about 170 and 6'4". But he said he absolutely has incredible track times and the kid has ball skills and everything else you want. He just needs to be thick enough that he doesn't break. Uh, but um, Tom, you know, doesn't get that over the top about uh, three-star guys very often. And, and uh, so I'll kind of take his word on it that he thinks this kid has tremendous potential. But when you look at the rest, I know that they're looking at like Addison Copeland, who is probably a three-star because he plays in Buffalo at a small high school. Uh, but you look at some of the other kids they're looking at, and I, I know that they don't have, you know, they're not in the top two or three schools right now for some of them, but they're looking at C.J. Williams from California. They're looking at Tyler Morris, Tobias Merriweather, Caden Saunders, who's a Penn State commit. I mean, all those guys are high four-star type receivers. Um, so I don't know that they're settling. Uh, now they may end up with just three stars, but they are, I think they're aiming high at the, on the wide receiver chart. Yeah. And if they felt like they were settling, they probably wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have done it this early. They would have waited to try and get a guy like this later on. Um, so they obviously think very highly of them. Um, certainly recruiting rankings aren't always going to agree. Uh, Kevin Stefferson had a pretty poor ranking and then came in Notre Dame and was awesome right away. And obviously different coaches evaluating him back then than, than now. So maybe there's reasons to question whether or not um, Notre Dame has really identified a, a sort of under the radar guy who missed time with an injury last season. Um, but uh, I think it's too early to panic. There are enough big time names that Notre Dame is interested in, like you mentioned, and Steve Angeli is working on trying to help Notre Dame recruit those guys. He mentioned them when he was on our podcast and Tyler Morris and Caleb Brown are guys he plays seven on seven with out of the Chicago area. Um, so he has relationships with those guys. Um, so he's going to put in, put in some words with those guys and try to get, the, get them to join him at Notre Dame as well. Um, another question from Michael Collins at MJC 5102. How many linebackers will Notre Dame take? I have seen a couple of predictions for Jalen Sneed to Notre Dame, which would lead and leave Notre Dame only one spot to take Sebastian Cheeks, or Tui Halamaka, I'm not used to saying that yet, if they are capping out at four. And if four is the number, do you accept the first two to commit from those three? Well, and I think Devin Jackson is also somebody that they're very interested in and vice versa. Um, so that's, you know, when we were talking to Steve Wiltfong a little bit earlier, I was trying to get him to help me with the answers. Um I, th I think the thing that's hard on the count for Notre Dame is, you know, I, I think there's, a, you know, that free COVID year. I don't think based on how many scholarships Notre Dame's handing out in 2022, I don't think they're counting on, you know, honoring that. They're counting on people to kind of go through their normal four or five year cycle. So I think Drew White wouldn't come back for a sixth year and, Bo Bauer and Shane Simon, if they have their degrees, would probably move on. Isaiah Pryor would move on. Paul Mawala may move on. Um, and then you start kind of looking at what you have beyond those five. And again, one or more of those guys could come back and, and that would influence your numbers. But you look at the other guys, they all have freshman eligibility because of COVID. And you have two, two of them are incoming freshmen, Kahanu Kia, 
who's going to be gone for two years. He's going to be gone on a Mormon mission for 2022, 2023. So you kind of throw him out. And then Prince Collie's the other freshman. And you look at the other two guys as J.D. Bertrand or Aceto Ukwano ever going to be a starter for you. And, and they both have the potential to do that. So um, I think that Notre Dame, if they get the right players, certainly could take five. But they have to be really careful with their no- overall numbers because they're counting on a lot of people moving on after they get their degree and becoming grad transfers. And we're talking about players that aren't particularly productive so, or that are that are super productive and want to go play in the NFL, like 15 out of the 17 or whatever it was, uh, or 13 out of the 15, whatever, with expiring eligibility wanted to do this year. So, um, so which ones of those? I would say Jalen Sneed's definitely a take. And then probably of those other people that um, the, the person mentioned, probably the first one of those guys to commit because they're pretty comparable. Uh, I, I like the kid from California, Tui Halamaka, um, because I think he is a bigger linebacker than some of these other guys. So he's got more size and he's also got speed to go with it. So he's a little bit different skill set maybe. Uh, so I would take him as my fourth. Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, when you think about like, do you, I always try to think about, okay, who would you regret more if they ended up being a star somewhere else? Um, So would you, would you, would it hurt more if you let a kid from Illinois, like Sebastian Cheeks get away or because you didn't have room for him, or would it hurt you more to let um, Tui Halamaka out of California get away? I don't know the answer to that. Um, And I think it's something that you have to sort of have to consider. Um, But I, I think it's, it could be feasible. Like if, if those guys, like even, Steve Wolfon was saying maybe Joshua Burnham ends up being a, a defensive end. Um, if, if you have guys in that class that you think have some maybe position versatility, then you can convince yourself into taking uh, five linebackers. Um, but maybe does that prevent you from taking another defensive end because you think maybe one will end up a defensive end? Is that a stud defensive end that you're closing the door on because you're doing that? I think a lot of these things are moving pieces. I, I, I think linebacker is tough because – you're not going to play a lot of other positions. If you're a linebacker, you can maybe end up being a defensive end, but you're not going to, you're almost not likely. I've seen people wonder if like Nolan Ziegler could end up being a safety. Uh, I always figure that you're going to move, you're going to move closer to the ball is when you get into college, you're usually not going backwards um, because guys aren't going to get um, faster and more athletic. They're going to get bigger and stronger. And it's going to be harder to get faster and more athletic um, at the college level. So I, I think, uh, you have to sort of figure um, that those guys aren't going to be able to play a lot of other positions for you. So would you rather take an extra wide receiver who maybe could end up being a, a defensive back for you, or would you rather take another linebacker? I think history would probably dictate that it would probably be a receiver rather than a linebacker, but maybe they handle things differently with Marcus Freeman in here as the defensive coordinator and him having a, a, a good plan to get all these guys on the field. So I think, the, the players are good enough and it's a good position to be in that you can take first come first serve and not have a huge regret. If like, okay, we didn't get this guy, but we got this other guy who we think is really good too. So it's not like we're shutting the door to take someone that we don't really like a lot. So I think uh, Notre Dame is certainly in a good position when it comes to linebacker recruiting and we'll have to see how it plays out. 
Um, speaking of linebacker recruiting, the last question we have is from Joe Esquire at Sad Irish Fan 13. Is Notre Dame headed for its best linebacker class in a long time in 2022? I'd say yes. I mean, and, and some of the ones that were touted didn't turn out to be the one that, uh, oh gosh, that the uh, kid from Valparaiso or Andran. Josh Barajas. Josh Barajas. That didn't turn out to be the class they thought it would be. Um, and yeah, with, there were some with, others uh, that weren't that as celebrated. Huh? That was with Asmar Bilal and Tavon Coney, I believe. Yeah, right. And Asmar wasn't a hit until right at the end of his career. You know, he was right. early on, he was kind of like, how come that kid isn't, you know, getting on the field sooner? Um, but, you know, you, they've gotten really good linebackers at times, but not in bunches like this. You know, they got right. Tao and Jalen Smith, but those guys didn't come with other really good linebackers. Yeah, Tao's class had Zeke Botta listed as a linebacker. Um, he was 54 he overall. Safety. Right, he ended up playing safety, but in terms of recruiting rankings, he was 54 overall as a linebacker. Um, and uh, Dan Fox was a four-star recruit in that class. So they did have three four-star linebackers, according to how they ranked them at the time. Um, and then uh, – four-star range is so – I mean, that goes from number 33 to 270. And, and there's a big difference between – a top 50 guy and a right. No, no, no. I, I agree. I'm just trying to find, yeah. figure out comparison points. The The previous best in terms of rankings um, is the 2018 class had three guys, Jack Lamb, Shane Simon, and Bo Bauer. And those guys on rivals were around the top 150 overall. Yeah. Um, and so that that's probably the best of the, that's the best of the Kelly area. Um, but I do think if they add two of Tuiala, Halamaka, Sneed, and or Cheeks, I think that probably puts this class in the conversation. But yeah, they, there haven't been guys, there haven't been, they've had a couple of guys that are highly ranked, but they haven't had the depth of highly ranked guys that they could potentially get in this class. So um, I think that, that spans, I, I went back and looked through all the classes of the Rivals era, and there wasn't really anything that Notre Dame had um, that would that would quite compare to what they could they could get. And obviously, what they could get and what they end up with is always a different story too. So we got to see how they fit across the finish line as well. All right. That's it for today's episode of pot of gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, shoot us some stars and leave a review. Uh, we'll be back next week with spring football practice, hopefully underway until then stick with ndinsider.com for all your Notre Dame football offseason coverage needs. Mm-hmm.